So uh, I, we're, we're uh, back. This is August 10th, 2011, Soybean Aphid Podcast. I'm Matt O'Neill. I'm Erin Hodson. Hi, Erin. Hi. So uh, we were just saying how we create a little to-do list here for the podcast. One of us does. Today, Erin did it. And then we talk about it and uh, reflect on the week that was. So last week, uh, we were worried about insecticide sprays going on. There was... Mm-hmm. The, the numbers were increasing, and yep. uh, we were thinking, yeah, we're getting close to thresholds, and people should start, if not scouting, if not spraying, at least scouting. So what's uh, the first thing on the list here? Soybean aphid populations around Iowa, north central region. What are you hearing from your colleagues in the... Uh, um, well, pretty much the hot spot of soybean aphid activity is still in Minnesota. That's where sprays, and I think uh, you said maybe even some potential resprays. Yeah. The same fields. yeah, we had a, uh, I don't know if I told you the whole story. We've got an experiment with Bruce Potter, who's with the University of Minnesota, and he's located in... Oh, Lamberton. Lamberton, which is where? Southwest corner. Southwest, okay. So Bruce, I'm asking you because you went to school there. You know yeah. all this. So Bruce uh, planted four varieties of soybeans, an aphid susceptible, one with RAG1, one with RAG2, and one with the two genes combined. And these genes give resistance to aphids. And we asked them to spray to keep some free of aphids if, if you get to, like, more than, I think it was, like, 50 per plant. Mm-hmm. Real low population. Spray it. And then keep some aphid free. He is applying a second application of insecticides to the susceptibles. Oh, okay. And so that's, it's not that fields have exceeded the economic threshold twice. No. It's, it's an no. aphid-free treatment. Yeah. Oh, okay. At his, okay. At his research farm. But he, small flower. Yeah. But yeah. he was saying that, uh, you know, there, there are other reports, you know, populations building. Okay. So that was, that was kind of remarkable because, you know, outside of, uh, I think, Sutherland, which is just south of there, we haven't really heard much yeah. insect um, in terms of aphid activity. Populations mm-hmm. have kind of built, but now they've dropped. They seem to be leveling off, and some of that's a result of the plant stage. We're getting into R5. Well, yeah, R4 to R5, depending on where you are and when you planted. So pods have sort of reached their main length, and now they're filling mm-hmm. the seeds. And, yeah, the aphid doesn't really have much to feed on. So you start seeing what are called little white dwarves, so they're little... They're not as healthy looking. Kind of anemic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anemic little aphids. Yeah. Uh, they don't get out much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, like at our Sutherland trials, we exceeded threshold and the soybeans there, but at all the other locations, the the percent of plants with aphids is increasing with each week, and I think we're at almost 100% infestation at the Nashua farm. But the number of aphids per plant is only slowly climbing. And we're getting to a point now in the season, just like you said, as seeds are starting to fill within the pod, where if it was a commercial situation, you might be getting past that point of making an effective treatment. Um, And the other thing to kind of be aware of is we had a lot of hot weather, uh, now we're cooler, but we're getting into real dry weather. Right. And so you have as our second bullet point spider mites. Yeah, I've been getting calls about spider mites, mo- mostly on the eastern side of the state. Um, you know, there's certainly fields that are getting way too much moisture and standing water and had some stand loss because of, of water this year. But there are some areas where 
they've had an extended dry period and spider mites aren't something that we typically have to deal with. I think the last major outbreak was in 1988, but there are some fields where they're starting to see the stippling or the, the result of spider mite feeding. So you get plants that start to turn yellow, kind of speckled looking. And usually if spider mites have been for around a while, you'll see the webbing or plants start to That's look dirty. That's really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, you, ne you never want to get it to that point. And so when plants start to turn yellow or bronze, um, that is the time to make an application. You don't want to get it to where they look ashy or dirty. Yeah, ashy. Nobody wants to look ashy. <laughs> no. And so the, the issue is if you have some soybean aphids and you have some spider mites, you want to apply something that does a good job for both. And so my recommendation would be to avoid the pyrethroids because uh, those tend to actually flare spider mites. So you can they make end a up, bad situation worse. Yeah, it can, with, when it's hot and dry and, and you apply a pyrethroid, you can have more mites than before your application. Even so, if they're just applying for the soybean aphid, mm -hmm. they may make a spider mite outbreak, uh, especially if it stays dry like this. So. Yeah, so I'd recommend using organophosphate. I don't have any data or hear about any data of the neonicotinoids, so I'd, I'd probably go with an organophosphate. Yeah. Um, you got another one here. I can't read your handwriting. It looks like <laughs> well, defibrillators <they're... laughs> and soybean aphids. Hopefully you're not having a heart attack in soybean. No, it's defoliators. Oh, defoliators. So, um, Japanese beetle is still active in some areas and hearing about some caterpillar activity. So if you have a combination of defoliators plus soybean aphid, we don't really have a good recommendation if both of both of the pests are below the threshold. So yeah. what do you, it's, it's a judgment call at that point, I would think, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've done, we have done some research looking at the combination of defoliation and soybean aphids and it, the relationship appears to be additive. That mm -hmm. is, if you have defoliation and then you have aphids, it's, you, you don't make a bad, I mean, they, they don't work to make themselves even worse than they would be if they were alone. Um, but, uh, what we don't know is, um, well, you know, should you, if you had uh, aphids that were at half the threshold and bean leaf beetles that were at half the threshold, should you spray it? Is it pay to spray? Yeah. Uh, we don't really have that kind of information. Right. My guess is that uh, you got to, it's more than just a numbers game, it's also a trend game. And if the aphid population is increasing, and your bean leaf beetle population is increasing or, or, or close to threshold, then it makes sense to spray. Right. You know? um, but uh, just the numbers alone, I don't know if that answers the question. How long they've been there, how long they're feeding, and how fast yeah. they're, they're, the population is gaining. So we're, a good idea. we're getting to a point where what the second generation of bean leaf beetles is emerging. I think maybe and, within a week or two they'll start to okay. emerge. So yeah. that's something that you know could... Uh, trigger a spray, and then if you had aphids that were hanging around, mm -hmm. you may you may need to think about adding both of those together. Yeah. But like you said, it's a bit of a judgment call. Um, yeah. You brought up bean leaf beetles, and I just wanted to put a plug in for a new dynamic threshold calculator that's going to be available uh, starting next week. And so, actually, it's one of your graduate students, Mike McCarville worked with me oh, on yeah? develop developing yes and so he deserves some major props oh, for this but basically it's going to be a downloadable excel spreadsheet that you can put on your personal computer or tablet you plug in your expected market value and your actual control costs and it'll tell you what the threshold is for the first generation and the second generation so 
This year, I was a And this bit, is available online? Uh, it'll be available through the ICM News next week. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Mike did that? Mike helped me. You know, that guy. Uh, yeah, that you know guy. What, you know what I blame him? Uh, he runs marathons. I think when you run marathons, you get a lot of energy. You just have that extra something. Yeah. something. I don't think he sleeps. No. That's why I asked him to help me. Yeah. Because I knew he would. Insane. Yeah. So that's just going to be a free Thank tool that you can use uh, for those areas that have persistent bean leaf beetle populations. It's it's a great tool because it's always going to be up to date for, you, for the current market value and your control cost. Hey, um, we're getting close to the end. Other little topics. Um, too late for this year, but uh, host plant resistance, aphid-resistant varieties. We've been studying this for the last uh, three or four years with help from uh, Walt Fair, the soybean breeder here. And I was t- did I tell you this already? Uh, we were working with organic growers through PFI. Walt provided them with seed that's non-Roundup ready. Mm-hmm. Um, we tested it at their farms and then last year and then they were distributing the seed selling it i guess and we had one farmer up in northwest iowa sell about two thousand bushels of it and was really happy with the way it performed last year even though it was kind of a low aphid year mm-hmm. um you know in organics they can't use the broad spectrum insecticides synthetic insecticides that conventionals use um the, so that's that's kind of nice the happy story i think for both conventional organic growers is the insect the Host plant resistance that has both genes, the RAG1 and RAG2, work even better. Yeah, that's and great. Mike McCarville and I think one of you, yeah, Mike McCarville and maybe one of your students, uh, Bob Bruner, have been looking at these in the field. And uh, it's just remarkable how well the, the combined work. That Bruce Potter study, we've been replicating that at a couple other states, Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota, Kansas, Pennsylvania, and, and, and here. And uh, when you combine the two genes, the plants are almost aphid-free, which awesome. is really, really, yeah, it's really, really cool. Yeah, people should consider uh, incorporating, just giving it a try, some host plant resistance into their production, see how, how they like it. Yeah, yeah. and I, so I don't think the combined, the ones with the two genes are available yet commercially. Available. Maybe in the next two to three years. And talking with, uh, hearing some uh, conversation from like Syngenta and Monsanto, I think they're close to producing some of these. Maybe some of the smaller seed companies uh, may have these. I don't know about mm-hmm. Stein Seed, but um, yeah, like we, sure. Blue River Hybrids is a organic. They provide organic seed, and they they got a Rag One. Mm-hmm. They may have Rag Two available in the future. But that's yeah, that's very hopeful. So a lot of the questions that growers are left with with the aphid. He's like, well, it's getting late. Should I spray? Shouldn't I spray? I think once we start using the aphid resistance, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these questions are going to disappear because the populations will be so low. And then the next big question is, well, how long will it last? Yeah. And that's uh, maybe, you know, it's a difficult question because it's going to depend upon how much this stuff is used and how frequently and, and the way the aphids respond. Um, we have a colleague in uh, the corn lab that studies resistance development on uh, rootworms on BT. And he just had a paper published where they found uh, rootworms that are resistant to the BT. So mm-hmm. this phenomenon happens, uh, but as he reports, it's kind of limited. And you got to start thinking about other ways to manage to keep that from happening. So mm-hmm. in the end, it's one more tool that we have, and we don't want to you know, use any one tool. To death? Much. Yeah, to yeah. death. That's right. Hey, we're running out of time. All right. Any other things? 
send any questions. We've been getting some questions this year, and so that's kind of helps with our talking points for the next yeah. next time. And uh, this year, uh, ICM is at usual time. I think there will be three to four AFID talks done. Oh, yeah. I think so, it's the first week of December. Yeah. So the announcement will come out soon to register for that. That's the music. See you next week. Yeah. Bye.